Hey there, you've stumbled upon the Uncrazy Podcast. My name is Ray, and I'm a PhD level therapy patient with 18 years of experience and plenty of mental health tips to prove it. Each week, I live by one of those tips and try to make myself feel a little bit less crazy. Join me and my guests as we live these out and laugh at each other, laugh at ourselves. It'll be a lovely time. Disclaimer, I am not a therapist. I'm not a mental health professional. So please seek one if you need one. If you're just ready to hang out and have a good time on this pod, let's go. Right. Thank you, everybody, for being here. I am so excited to have the wonderful Jessica Da Silva on with us today. And she is a fantastic money coach. I've actually, and an intuitive. So I've actually had a reading with her recently that I absolutely adored. Um, and so as a money coach, um, she works with entrepreneurs that are looking to break through any glass ceilings that they have in their business, really showing them what income level that they can have. And it's beyond their wildest dreams and aligning with their most abundant and impactful self using intuitive gifts and her awesome abilities in getting more money through coaching practice. So I want to hear a little bit more from you, Jesse. Sounds good. I'm excited. All right. So tell, tell us about, a little bit about your coaching practice. I know that people listening would want to hear a little bit more from your perspective. Yeah. So what I do is I help people identify and unblock the limiting beliefs that keep them small and that keep them from making the money that they want and deserve. Because I fully believe that a lot of it is self-imposed. I mean, there are real things like systemic oppression and things like that, that are definitely at play, but it's really important for us to be aware of how we are imposing our own limitations on ourselves. So that's what I focus on helping people do, especially with entrepreneurs, although I work with more than just them because like we make our own money as entrepreneurs. And a lot of times our beliefs cause us to show up in a certain way that either holds us back or lets us step into our fullest, most authentic selves. That is awesome. Okay. Yes. I am fully behind the being authentic and aligning with your purpose and all of that. And I've just started getting into that. So I think that's so important for entrepreneurs to understand because I think in at least from my perspective, I work in startups, um, just the idea of entrepreneurship having to be 100% measurable and everything has to be measured and everything has to be, every decision made has to be calculated. And oftentimes I think people kind of reject the whole intuitive idea of things and like, you know, being authentic and aligning with what, you know, the founders and the the creators of the business actually want uh, for the their clients. And it's, it's really about doing what they think people want rather than doing what is authentic to them and attracting people that are, you know, authentically drawn to their business. And so I am a huge advocate of that, especially for people who are creating their own business, but also for, you know, non-entrepreneurs who are just looking to make more money and, and be their best selves. So I love that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like everybody has intuitive gifts. Mm-hmm. It's just that some people are more naturally in tune with them than others. It's just that sixth sense. And, you know, we often call it like a gut feeling or, you know, a spidey sense or something like that. We all have it and it mm-hmm. just presents in different ways. 
Definitely, definitely. And yeah, I think it's it's definitely something that I've come up against this year of just realizing that that because I always thought that I was just kind of, you know, a uh, a work robot <laughs> that I you know <laughs> zeros and ones and that. I didn't realize that I could tap into my intuition and that, you know, it, it led me to really great things and led me to do this podcast. So um, I encourage everyone to kind of do some intuition, strengthening exercises, some great um, meditations on insight timer that I, I like to use. I search intuition and some great meditations come up. All right. So we're going to get to know Jessica a little bit better through some subconscious questioning. So I like to ask a few different questions to kick things off and I interpret the answers and, and see how, how well I do with that. And so, um, all right, Jessica, what is the first animal that comes to mind? Tiger. Ooh, I love that answer. Okay. We got the tiger. What is the first number that comes to mind? Nine. Nine. Okay. Um, and then let's see, what is the first color that comes to mind? Purple. Purple. That's a royal regal color. Okay. I love all of this. So I'm seeing that tiger represents a, um, a sort of somebody that knows when to move forward with their strategy. Someone who knows when to like, um, pounce essentially and be like all right this is the direction I want to go in and then somebody who knows when to hold back and when to um not necessarily make a move so you're very strategic in your thinking especially around your business it seems like you know what areas to lean into and where to lean back um so I love that that's a really good skill to have and then the stripes sort of represent um what's the word like counterculture not being exactly aligned with uh what everyone else is doing which on your website you talk about that like you know that um quote-unquote normal jobs are not the only way to go and I love how you incorporate intuition into your work and so I think that that is definitely a a great trait to have as an entrepreneur showing people that there are different ways and that there are ways that you can um you can make money that aren't you know sitting in a nine to five so we know that about you which I love um then also for nine so nine is the number of wisdom of serving humanity of of kind of raising the collective consciousness for the greater good um and also kind of going along with the tiger image that you have a protective energy you're very protective of your your customers and your clients is that right oh, do you feel that sure. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I definitely have like mama bear energy when it comes to the people I work with because like I I don't work with you if I don't love you and that's just how it goes yeah so you're would you say you're selective in the process of choosing clients absolutely yes mm. yeah. I'm kind of curious about that actually I want to dig into that a little bit so what are some of the criteria that you look for? I look for somebody, first of all, somebody who sees me and my genius. Like that's mm. because, you know, a lot of times, and this is a huge money block that I see a lot in entrepreneurs, especially coaches, is that you get into this energy of like, well, I need money. And so I need to take anybody who's interested in me. Mm. And my thing is like, I, you know, and I made those mistakes too early on in my, in my journey 
And when you do that, you wind up with clients who kind of want to argue with you. And, yeah. <laughs> and like, there's, I definitely teach my clients to trust their own intuition and to make their own moves, even if it's uh, counter to what I'm telling them to do. But there's a difference between being defensive and really taking things in with an open mind and trying them out and saying, that's not really for me. So I, I want somebody who sees and recognizes my genius, somebody who's an action taker, ready to move ahead. Like I find that the people who tell me I need to think about it, um, even though they've like, I've cleared up and answered all their questions. Generally, they don't sign with me. And I think it's because like, I'm somebody like I am designed to skyrocket you and your business. Mm -hmm. And that's scary. Even when you're being catapulted into success, it's, it can be such a rapid succession that it almost feels like you're getting altitude sickness. So oh, yeah. for me, it's like, I want, I, I like people who are like, I'm all in, I want to see how far I can go, how far I can push myself personally, professionally, all of those things. So I like people who are action takers. And I also want people who are trying to make a difference in the world, because for me, that's why I'm in this line of work, because I would love to change the world. I would love to see businesses pay people what they deserve and people who aren't getting paid what does what they deserve can go out and make their money however they want mm. and I want to and I know that I can best change the world not just through the clients I work with but the clients they work with and so creating a ripple effect that will hopefully up level the entire the entire world as we know it I love that yeah so you're not only you know trying to serve humanity from just you projecting out there your message. It's really about you providing the message to your clients who are in turn helping other people. And so it's, yeah, that ripple effect, that, that kind of uh, the butterfly effect of just like making right. that change. Uh, I love that. That's so cool. Um, so that's, yeah, the tiger and the nine really kind of go together in that, in that sense. And then we have the purple answer. So purple often represents um red and blue together so red is the more like um go 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 mentality the like uh pushing forward and and passion and so you have a lot of passion in your business it's very clear but then on the other side of things you have blue which is that loyalty and that um you know mama bear protectiveness uh and so i i can see a lot of that in your business so that that gives us some insight into how you operate and it all sounds really good to me so people listening if you're looking for some money coaching jessica is uh is obviously going to be your biggest advocate let's dig into the mental health tip of the week this week we're talking about sitting with your anxiety uh so essentially how i do that um for the for the listeners out there is um whenever I feel kind of an anxious surge in my body or any uncomfortable feeling, really, I'll sit with it and you either do a meditation or just kind of like let it peak and pass. So when, you know, it, it gets to its highest point, I'll rate it from one to seven because one to 10, you can kind of, you know, cheat and say five every time, like, right. So you either have to choose three or four in this case, if you're kind of in the middle. So one to seven, and then sit with it until it gets to half that. So if I said, oh, this is a six, then I'll wait till it's a three and then I could move along with my day because then I'm teaching my body that the discomfort is going to peak and then it's going to pass. A lot of people will numb that, you know, the, that 
really high discomfort feeling with alcohol, drugs, even exercise. If you're just trying to like, okay, I need to just distract myself from this feeling, you know, people over exercise to, to get their anxiety out. Um, you know, eating carbs is one that like I do all the time, but you know, I have to wait until it peaks and passes. Like, I don't want to like, you know, I don't want it to distract myself or use, um, any sort of external substance until I'm at the halfway mo- uh, point, essentially. And so, you know, you can use all of those distraction techniques as long as you're not doing them at the peak of your anxiety. So um, that's really what we focused on this week. And so, Jessica, how did that go for you? It actually went really well, and it allowed me to actually be more in tune with my body, I found. Um, so. For example, so um, for the past several weeks, uh, my fiance has been back and forth on going full steam ahead into this PhD program that would cause us to be long distance for Mm -hmm. some time. So for a while, it looked like he wasn't going to do it. And then finally this week, like, you know, my anxiety has been peaking over Mm -hmm. it. And so after a conversation with a friend, I realized like, I can't be his coach right now mm-hmm. I have to be his partner and like, just tell him how I feel. And which of course I don't want to do because mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable to like, yeah. let my anxiety spike and have that conversation. And so I finally did. I just sat down and I said, like, I'm sad. I'm afraid that like, you know, I'm afraid that we could break up because like, because I know that he gets tunnel vision in his schoolwork. I get tunnel vision in my business. Mm-hmm. So my thing is like, I'm afraid I'm going to get neglected. I'm afraid that, you know, this is going to happen. I'm afraid I won't be able to see you because of COVID. Like I had all of these concerns and I finally just voiced them to him. And it was almost like in voicing it, he was finally able to say like, I actually do want to do this because I'm, I'm afraid I'll regret it if I mm. don't. And so even though that was the decision he came to, I just kind of sat with it. And I just like, like I said, I expressed all my concerns around it and I let him support me, which was huge. And cause I come from like my, um, I guess my trauma is that like, I try to be everything for myself mm-hmm. and feel myself and like not let people hold space for me. And so for me to open up and ask for verbal support and like, that converse let him have that conversation with me where I was like this is what I'm afraid of how are you going to do these things and here's what I would like to see you do and this is what's important to me all of that made me feel very vulnerable and and uncomfortable Mm. but I also realized that it was safe for me to do that Mm -hmm. Um, at another point during the week which was actually like yesterday on a Friday. Like I basically like my, my drug of choice is like working, mm. like working in <laughs> food. So um, like I've gotten really good with the food thing, but then yesterday I was so like, I was really tired and it was because I've overworked myself this mm-hmm. week, probably because, you know, not just cause I have things to do, but a little bit of the anxiety and everything. Mm-hmm. And yesterday it was like 4 PM and I was so dead tired. And I was like, I can't take a nap. If I take a nap, like it's going to slow me down. I have so many other things to do. And then I was like, wait, who said, who said <laughs> I can nap at 4 PM? So I ended up taking a two hour nap 
And then like, you know, I woke up and I was like, oh, I still have a good amount of the night left. I could absolutely like go to the gym, do these other things. And then I checked in with my body because I was like, I'm actually still really tired. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I just kind of like allowed myself to like not do anything and I was okay. And then wow. surprise, surprise, I went to sleep, slept 10 hours, woke up today. I feel so much better. So I think because I was focusing on like, how am I feeling emotionally and being comfortable sitting in it that I was able to like more, more accurately pinpoint my needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's rather than like numbing myself to it with something else. That's a legitimate issue that I think a lot of people deal with, especially in this kind of like burnout culture where it's like, no, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. If you slow down, then something is going to happen or you're not, you're going to lose momentum. And that's absolutely not true. That's like, no, it's not. And like, I tell my clients that, but it's one of those things where it's like, we always know what other people need to hear. Yeah. (laughs) We struggle with telling, taking our own advice. Um, But this week, like, you know, having that reminder from you at the beginning of the week where you were like, well, the lesson this week is sitting with our discomfort. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, I don't like that. Maybe I won't do this (laughs) podcast. Uh, But it was one of those things where it's like, no, I really needed to like understand that it's okay because emotions are just emotions and they pass. Oh, 100%. 100%. And and it's not even about like consciously knowing that because we all know that to an extent, but telling our body that and like letting our body be like, "All right, we're going to be okay. This is going to be okay." And it it's 100% something that I had to learn over so much time. And so it finally had a therapist that told me about this concept, because before I had a lot of what I like to call smile and nod therapists that would mm. just just thought that I needed someone to listen to. And I'm like, do you do you see me right now? Like, I need a lot more than that. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I overworked too. And I didn't realize that was a coping mechanism that I did. I thought that everybody just worked as crazy as I did and, and obsessed about work as much as I did. Um, and it wasn't, you know, and I was working a traditional, um, you know, it was more than nine to five, but it was, a, you know, one of the traditional corporate types of jobs. And it really like I would use that to so I didn't have to think about my own you know unhealthy coping skills and I would just use work as kind of a a way to validate myself and any time that I got praise it would just be like all right sweet now I can you know I can keep going for the next few days and then if I didn't get praise like within those that time frame I would be like oh my god I'm doing something wrong I better double down and it was just this unhealthy cycle. Um, and I also, I had OCD. Well, I mean, it's it's something that's lifelong. So I have OCD and it's, uh, I would call it in remission at this point, but mm. it was, uh, you know, with OCD often comes clinical perfectionism where I thought that perfection was the only way and that if I slipped up in any sort of way, if I wasn't um, you know, trying 150% that I would, you know, be fired or I would be um, like get in trouble or, or somebody would disapprove of, disapprove of me. And that in itself was the end of the world for whatever reason, like disapproval was just something that would break me and living life on that kind of like tightrope 
was so exhausting. And so I would use my compulsive behaviors, my um, rituals for, you know, with, with regards to OCD, which were um, essentially like rumination. So rumination is a very little known compulsion for OCD. A lot of people think OCD is handwashing or, or organizing things. And there are so many different things that OCD can be. It's anything that is, you know, causes anxiety. And then you do a ritual to reduce the anxiety. So my ritual was ruminating on certain situations where I'm like, oh my God, like how bad was that mistake? And then I would ruminate about it and that would make me feel better in a way, but not. And so, um, it, it was, it, it was a cycle. And so essentially like once I learned from a therapist, like how to sit with that and not ruminate and basically use mindfulness to stop ruminating uh, or at least like divert it and then let, let it just be, then my, my anxiety started to go down and I started, and now I'm not even on any anxiety meds anymore because that worked so well. So the point being, I want to say that like, even in the more extreme cases, like an OCD or somebody who's going through a lot of that, like this can work, this can work for anybody at any level of anxiety. Even if you're not facing a lot of anxiety, it might just be a discomfort that you're feeling sitting with it and letting it peak and pass is going to biologically change you. And so I, this is one of my favorite things to use. So for this week, for me, the way that I used it was, um, I guess I was feeling a lot of discomfort around the uncertainty. Uh, I was just laid off a few weeks ago and the uncertainty around how am I going to make money and how am I going to live off of unemployment when we don't have the extra $600 a, a week because that ended and I, you know, I'm living in San Francisco. It's very expensive and worrying about that. Um, and just letting it be because in the moment I, I, you know, the most important thing to do is reduce that discomfort because I can't, you know, fully invest in anything else if I'm uncomfortable and anxious. And so, you know, if, even though I wanted to job search to make myself feel better because I'm like, I'm doing something, it's better to just sit with it and do nothing and just feel all the feelings before I proceeded forward to try to solve my problem. So you can't, be effective in problem solving if you're in that anxious state. So Mm. that's the urgency there is to, you know, first before everything else, sit with it, get it to half where it's at and then proceed. Um, So I was, I struggled with it because I'm like the uncertainty of being in this economic downturn and, and living while I'm trying to find work and while the competition is so high because a lot of people are looking for work, I I just felt overwhelmed. And so sitting with it is something I did a lot this week. And it worked, but you know, that uncomfortable uncertainty is still there. And so I it's something that I have to live with and be like, everything is uncertain. We don't know what's gonna happen today, tomorrow, in the next hour, in the next minute. And being okay with the uncertainty is not something that I can talk with, you know, talk on with authority, but it is something that I'm working through every day. Um, And so there's two parts of that. I sat with it. And then I also let the uncertainty just exist um, instead of trying to obsessively control it. Uh, Is there anything you can relate to with that uncertainty feeling? Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and that was the thing too, is that I realized that I was definitely, you know, I was outwardly projecting this like 
cool and um, unbiased version of a partner who is worried about the future of their relationship based on their partner's decision. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that rumination that you're talking about, which Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was doing where it was like, I was imagining the worst case scenarios and like, Mm -hmm. what am I going to do in those situations? And like trying to plan out a game plan for every single outcome, which is not reasonable. And I remember when I had first started with my last therapist who I'm not seeing anymore because I'm actually like, you know, in remission like you. Mm -hmm. And still on meds, though. Mm. And I remember one of the things she was like, well, what what would you what would be what would be most helpful for you right now? And I remember saying, I'd like to speak through every single I was said, I'd like to speak through every single possible scenario and come up with a plan for that. And she was like, so we're not going to do that. (laughs) She's like, that's not going to be helpful for you. Uh, (laughs) But I completely. But I completely understand because it wasn't until I sat with my discomfort that I was like, uh, this is stuff that I need to be sharing. And it was once I was talking about it, once we were talking about things, I had this moment of realization where I was like, I'm talking about this as if it's all set in stone and anything could change. Like, we don't know what's going to happen by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Like, they could put this PhD program entirely online for the next year and like now you don't have to be there and mm-hmm. you know I could make a million dollars and we wouldn't have to worry about like you know both having to work in a small home because I could easily like find another place to work or we could find a bigger apartment or mm-hmm. something. and I realized I was like oh so much of this I'm making this with by not expressing it and trying to suppress it I'm making it mean that there are going to be specific situations that are outside my control. And really, it it took feeling the discomfort for me to realize, oh, this may not even happen. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like getting worked up, not over nothing, but I'm getting worked up over over uncertainty rather than, you know, anything else. It was like the the uncertainty that was worrying me. And like once I was able to talk about it, I released it. That was like what was so amazing to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so hard for us to realize that like, you know, the worst case scenario is easy to jump to because we're, we have a negativity bias in our brain. We're taught that like, you need to be prepared at all times for the shittiest situation. And nobody teaches you to think about what if it goes the best case, like goes the other direction. And then there's yeah, a that, spectrum in between, right? Right. Yeah. And that's what I've I've taught people about. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I and I'll tell them it okay, if you're worried about the absolute worst case scenario, imagine that and imagine what you'll do in it. And now you have to think about the best case scenario mm-hmm. because chances are it's not gonna be the worst, it's not gonna be the best, it's gonna be somewhere in the middle, maybe erring toward the best. Yeah. You know, and and that was actually like in doing that and finally voicing everything, I was like, oh, it could actually be really good. Mm-hmm. And I I could be making something out of nothing here, mm-hmm. like making a mountain out of a molehill, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you were thinking through what positive things could happen. And, you know, if like, what if these this really terrible situation going on in the world could facilitate something that could help you grow in your relationship and and just take a different path with your life and I I 
I really, I love that practice and it's not easy to do. It's not something that we naturally do. And that whole spectrum of what if, or what could happen or, and feeling curious about your future rather than freaking out about it and overly preparing for a, an imaginary scenario. I think that's, that's something that it takes practice and then it could benefit a lot of people. So I think it sounds like we used kind of two different techniques as sitting with the uncomfortable feelings and then looking at different scenarios that could happen in the future that are not just like, oh my God, the world is going to explode and I'm never like, how am I going to prepare for the absolute worst thing? So right. we, we did good. I think we did good. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of us. Me um, too. Yeah. So we talked a lot about the best case or, or sorry, the, the positive um, aspects of sitting with your emotions and sitting with it until it peaks and passes. I'm wondering if you had, you could think of any like downsides to this. Um, I like to think of both sides of things because, you know, we can always sit up here and talk about how amazing something is, but there, it's not going to work for everyone. So what do you, even if it worked really well for you, what are some things that you can envision like that, might not work for people. Um, you know, I used to have, I used to have bad anxiety attacks. So I could see sitting mm-hmm. with it causing one of those for mm-hmm. sure. Because like, if you're not great at the, like sitting and feeling or like the feelings mm-hmm. are very intense. Um, I could see it like kind of bubbling up. Mm. So I, I could see that happening. I don't think I'm in a place where that happens yeah. anymore, but like at the same time, I think in the past with a lot of my panic attacks, it was from not, it was from suppressing Mm -hmm. a lot of things. And so it would build up, build up, build up and get there. So I guess like you would have to be really cognizant of where you are in that cycle, Mm -hmm. you know, because you make sure that like you are, you're consistently feeling your feelings or talking about your feelings with somebody, you know, if you're at the point where you're, where you're like, okay, now I'm going to do it. And my, my emotions are at a brink then I'm not saying suppress it, but I'm saying like maybe what you want to do is conjure up the feelings in a safer environment when you have somebody present rather than reacting, if that Mm. makes sense. Totally. And it's a skill that you, number one, you have to be at a biological level where your your anxiety isn't overriding your ability to sit with things and and, um, feel them fully. Um, while I did say I'm, I'm off of anxiety meds now I am on other meds. And so that helps me to t- stabilize enough to, um, to be able to do this. So I do, so, you know, meds can help. Um, I don't want to encourage anyone to go off of meds prematurely. Um, that, that I can love help my meds. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had like a a really, I have a unique flavor Mm -hmm. of generalized anxiety disorder Mm. where mine became ultra focused on death. So it was like, not like suicidal um, ideation. It was more about like the existential, like constant thoughts about my death and the death of people around me and like how short of a lifespan we have Mm. in comparison to the age of the world. And you know, what's the point of all of this if, you know, this is where we all wind up and like, you know, just I could not turn the thoughts off. Mm. And that was like when I realized, hey, this is beyond my own management because up until then I'd been in talk therapy for, I believe, two to three years. 
And like, I'd been in talk therapy. I had a great diet. I had an exercise regimen. I had friends, I had hobbies, like I was doing the things. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that sometimes it is a chemical imbalance and those chemicals equal thoughts. Like it had never occurred to me, these thoughts are not natural. These thoughts are Mm -hmm. the result of a chemical imbalance in my brain. And like, I remember like finally getting to my GP's office and like sobbing, like I just started telling her what was going on. And I was like, I'm like, I'm waking up in the middle of the night gasping because I'm having nightmares that I'm like dead and buried underground. Yeah. And like, I was telling her that and she was like, she was like, I really think medication will help you. Like, Mm. I really like, I would like, let's try one and we'll work on it and see how you feel. And she was like, give it a couple weeks. We'll see how it goes. I literally like it felt better overnight. Mm. And like that was the first night of sleep I had ever gotten was when I was on medication, like in months, the first proper night of sleep, because it had gotten to the point where I was afraid to go to sleep at night because I was having those nightmares all the time. Mm hmm. So like now I've been on medication. It's going to be, it's actually my two year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I had up until like the past month, I'd been on like the maximum dosage. And now that I'm out of like a miserable career and I'm like living my best life and all of that, I actually found that I naturally needed to scale down a bit. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe I don't need to be on them at all. But I found that I just like went from 20 milligrams down to 10 and it's like back to being like the perfect amount. It's like, I feel good every day. I like, I can think about death when I want to, which mm. is like the big, the big thing is that like, it's not like uncontrollable fascination with it where I'm just really obsessively thinking about it. So like, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of medication Mm -hmm. and like, it's really helped me. So I think that that's part of it as well is that like, you know, my anxiety is managed and I do have a treatment plan. And so of course, sitting with my anxiety is now the next best thing. But like back when my anxiety was not manageable, sitting with that would have triggered a panic attack for me. And Mm. so like, being aware of where you are in your journey and how comfortable you are with your emotions and like, what's the next step in your treatment plan. I think that would be very key. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm a proponent of medication as well. I've been on it since I was 16 on like a million different things because doctors couldn't figure me out. Um, And now I'm on bipolar meds only and um and one pill actually helped me a lot whereas before I was on a million different things because they didn't know I was bipolar and so um I and and through and I was at a point before where I couldn't just sit through things like I I also suffered from anxiety attacks and even though I was on uh, anxiety meds even at a certain point when I was on anxiety meds I still couldn't even sit through them because I was, there was a lot of underlying trauma and stress that was not able to be fixed by even the highest dose of anxiety meds. And, and so I, I was a little bit more complicated of a case in that sense. So if you do have a complicated uh, mental health history or you are, um, uh, you know, meds aren't helping or, or something else like this might be a little bit more difficult to get through. And so this isn't for everybody. And it, it might it, it is helpful for 
people at the phase where they can sit through it and the anxiety goes down to half because sometimes it, it might go up even, which is, is even, uh, which is very difficult. Or you might need a lot of time to sit through it until mm. it goes to half. Like some people might need more time than others. So for example, I was at a point in my life at one point where I was on anxiety meds, weren't helping for whatever reason. Um, I, would try to just sit with it and I would try to meditate and I was having to do that like after every meeting that I was in at work or every like you know throughout the day and I had I was sitting with it so often that it was interfering with my work and that's when you know a strategy needed to change and um you know a therapist needed to I needed a specialist to step in and help me through that because something was off and something wasn't working and so if if this isn't working then strategies may need to change because this is one of the gold standards for anxiety management but it something else might be going on underlying that you need to address so I highly highly recommend anyone whose anxiety is going up after these practices to find an anxiety and or OCD specialist um I think OCD specialists are really good for generalized anxiety as well because they're treated in a very similar way um And sometimes OCD is disguised as generalized anxiety. So I do want to encourage, yeah, um, I do want to encourage people to, to seek that help. Um, But overall, I'd give this, like, let's grade this mental health tip. I'd give this mental health tip a, an A minus. I think it's helped me tons, tons in my life. Uh, What about you, Jessica? I would agree with that. Yeah, I would definitely say like an A minus because I think that for somebody who um, has like been managing their anxiety for a while, that it's important to remember that like sometimes feeling it is still important because you have to show yourself like, yeah, I can feel it and live through it and everything's going to be fine. Yes, 100%. So whenever you are at the place where this works for you, and you do reduce your anxiety by half, and it's all, it all works well, then then you're in the right place. If if it's not helping after, you know, a few minutes, uh, or a meditation, then that's the time to get some extra assistance. And maybe medication is right for you. Maybe it's not. Um, I want everybody to know that this is 100% a personal um, situation. There's not one size fits all. So, um, so anyone out there struggling, I have been there. I feel for you. And, um, if you need help seeking help, I am an expert at finding therapists at this point. So feel free to reach out to me. Um, all right. So action items, let's, let's come up with some, some things that we can do for the upcoming week that will, that will help us. Jessica, what out of this experience, what do you feel like you can, what steps can you take forward to, to continue with this practice? I think just reminding myself that it's okay to slow down and feel things like 100%. that is such a crucial reminder for me because especially cause like I said, my drug of choice is just like, keep working. Like I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, not going to feel that got a million things to do. Move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And just like resting and sitting with feelings like that's, that has merit and it's not something anyone should be ignoring. Totally. Totally. I think my homework for the week is to, I think I still, even though I was trying to sit with things, I did notice myself um, going to old habits of like, I tried to exercise the, 
the anxiety away when it wasn't fully like, you know, down to half. And so I do want to be a little bit more intentional in not using distractions to get my, you know, to, to divert my attention away from the anxiety because the only way out is through and I need to actually feel that anxiety first and then go on with whatever, you know, healthy coping mechanism can can benefit me and, and clear those emotions out after I'd sit I after I sit with it. So I could be more intentional in that. And I think that's what I will do. All right. Sounds like we have a plan. I love it. Uh, yeah. All right. This has been our podcast. I would love to know, Jessica, where can people find you? People can find me in a variety of places, but Instagram is great. I'm there at J underscore DeSilva, and that's DeSilva with a D-A. Um, I'm on Facebook, got a nice open page there, and I've got a great Facebook group called Aligned Abundant Entrepreneurs, which we mentioned. Um, I'm on all the places. I'm on Pinterest, Twitter, all of them, but your most reliable place to find me is probably Instagram. And that's the show. I hope this week you will laugh a little bit more about the absurdity that is mental health.